Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Len, aka the Bat Tribble of Black Tribble's fame. And this is the Michelle Mission. Two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. With me is my host, co-host actually. Uh, this is Vincent Williams. It's also tonight on the Michelle Mission. We- you, you did tonight? <laughs> It's tonight. I know. We've heard from people that say they listen to it at night, okay. so it's nighttime for for you. If it's not nighttime for you, then turn the lights off. <laughs> because tonight, we are going to sleep with anger. From 1990, Charles Burnett, direct, writer, director Charles Burnett, kind of, um, I don't know, like a kind of like an American Southern Gothic tale starring Danny Glover, Mary Alice, Paul Butler, Richard Brooks, and Carl Lumley, aka Jones Tribble of the Tribble Nation. Oh, okay. Yes, we did talk to him. I'll talk talk about that a little bit later. Okay. Um so we're gonna get into that tonight. Uh first we do have a little bit of feedback. Okay. Just a little bit. Apparently a lot of listeners really enjoyed our <laughs> mini episode uh beyond star trek beyond yeah, uh, yeah. Appar- apparently <laughs> there are quite a few fans of what i like to <laughs> affectionately call salty vents <laughs> <laughs> I was in here working blue. I was working blue. Were, I was working blue. You were dog. And um you have you have some fans. Working blue. You have some fans. All right. That's good to good to know. People to know. really appreciated uh-huh. that episode. You know the thing? The, the bad thing? As to, to uh to quote uh Paradise in Harlem, sober is a judge. <laughs> I know. Sober is a judge. I know. I know. That's the scary part, man. Speaking of which it goes without saying we were talking about Captain Pike. Mm. Captain Pike was yes. was the captain of the Enterprise before Captain Kirk. We were saying Captain Pine. Oh, did we say Pine? Yeah, you had gotten me so worked up <laughs> about Chris Pine <laughs> that I mixed up Pine with Pike. Captain Pike. Not to be confused with Chris Pine, who plays Captain Kirk in New Kirk, who I was in the mall this weekend and and i was walking through like macy's and 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 chris pine was advertising like like i think tag who or watches or something it was mm-hmm. a picture of him and he had on like eyeshadow to bring out he the blue in his eyes no, he like he had a little little stubble on his face and i yelled out in the store see lynn this is just what i'm talking about <laughs> so anyway yes <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, the uh, Salty Vince has quite a number of fans, including in that number, Arson, the voice of reason, uh, a.k.a. Super Tribble of Black Tribbles, who said, um, I ux with Vince. <laughs> I don't know. That's, uh, <laughs> that's so. Hey, Randy is my dude. He knows that. Apparently a thing there. Um, and we got hit up a few times on Twitter. I can't really find all of, all of the posts that we that hit us up, as well as had an email 
with a link sent to us by fan of the show Steve Tozen to let us know that yes in fact they did not follow up on the worm conspiracy on Star Trek uh, as I as you did rightfully did say I was noticing and listening back to the show that you actually just you plainly spell it out and <laughs> and read from the yeah. Star Trek handbook well, about you, how they never no 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 followed but up but on but it. to your you know to your defense you you argued that it began in episode nineteen when you first get because I don't know if they showed them in episode nineteen I they think did. in episode did they show them or yeah, did they, they did. just show the dudes eating or eating like the the alien food no they showed it because I didn't know if they showed them until episode twenty five when they start shooting. Mm-mm-mm. The dude, and then they he showed came it. out of his body. They showed it. They showed. They showed a scene in episode nineteen of him eating the food, and everybody's like, "Yo, what the hell was up with that?" And then and they then showed later the, the worm crawling. The worm. Okay, all right. So you know, we were basically we, you were saying that the sun is out in the daytime, and I was saying the moon is out at night, pretty much. So you know, that's pretty much. But I, I'll, I'll admit, I was I was being a lot more defensive <laughs> than than I really should have been. No, 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 no. I was all parts of wrong. Well, it was a weird episode, so you know it's it kind of it stuck with me, you know. It's, but but I'm glad people, I'm glad people enjoyed, enjoyed that, and uh, we'll try and you know we'll see if the, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. we'll see what conversation sparks <laughs> before the before the mics get t- quote unquote turned on. Right, right, right. And we can bring you something like that uh, later on. Uh, we'll you know there will see you will soon see a return of salty vents. <laughs> okay. Let's put it that way. Salty Vince will have his another day. You're working blue, Vince. You're working blue. You don't have to work blue. <laughs> when I played the cat skills in the oh 50s. My back in the 50s. Okay. You know, they you know, you don't gotta work blue. All right. So there you go. All right, Jackie. Um <laughs> let's get into Charles Burnett's To Sleep with Anger. All right. Hi, I'm Danny Glover. I've recently had the opportunity to be in a very special motion picture called To Sleep With Anger. It's the first major film written and directed by noted filmmaker Charles Burnett. To Sleep With Anger. It's a film about old friends. Ah, oh, oh, man, seen you what, what? It must be 30 years or more. I'm telling you, Harry is nothing but evil. Bad luck to touch a fellow with a broom. Oh. Oh. This boy must be turning over. Take me to the wall. Take me to the wall. Are you a friend, Harry? You know, you remind me of so much that went wrong in my life. 
distinctive anger. Okay, so here we are, 1990s to sleep with anger. As you said, this is Charles Burnett's, I think technically it's his third film, mm-hmm. but it's his first film with, uh, you know, a quote-unquote professional cast, if you will, like actors that many of us would recognize, Um, you know, of the cast that, you know, as you pointed out, I think it's worth mentioning that um, Danny Glover, Danny Glover, who plays uh, arguably the main character, Harry, was really vested in this story and actually took a pay cut and eventually became one of the producers. Um, It's a lot of ways to talk about this film. It's a lot of ways. I'll just say, you know, first and foremost, the cast, it's it's a murderer's row, this cast. Um, You know, uh, Danny Glover, I think this may be my favorite role from Danny Glover. Uh, Mary Alice, who is an American treasure, uh, Paul Butler, who's one of those great sort of working black actors that you don't see that often. I think I recognize him the most. He played one of the other black sergeants in the movie version of a soldier's story. Oh, remember, um, remember when, um, when Sarge was beating up Pete, he's the one that actually tells him, okay, that's enough. See, I, I, uh, immediately recognized him, especially at the time, from Homicide: Life on the Streets. Was Paul Butler on Homicide? I think he was on Homicide: Life on the. He was on a cop show. Okay, all right. Uh, Richard Brooks. Yeah, Richard Brooks, one you know, a wonderful actor. I think he, you know, he's actually working now, playing kind of a similar role on um, Being Mary Jane. The great Carl Lumley, who you just talked about. I'm sorry, Paul Butler was on uh, Crime Story. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry, that's what okay. It was. I know it was a period. Uh, Vanetta McGee, who plays uh, Carl Lumley's character's wife, uh, Vanetta McGee of the McGee sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, big fan of Vanetta. You know, Lynette McGee, I think, gets most of the pub, but Vanetta McGee is nice. And then Shirley Ralph, mm-hmm. who is one of my favorite actresses that I don't think gets roles meaty enough for a woman of her talent. And this is early in her career. And this is early. This is this is early in her career. So this is, you know, like like she probably has dream girl stuff still in her house mm-hmm. at this point. So you have this wonderful cast, and then you have the story, which is a story about this, you know, this this family that lives in Los Angeles, who are from the South, right, and Harry is is an old friend who comes to visit and when he comes to visit things happen mm-hmm. and you you know i think the the first thing that i would start with is that word old i, I think i think when i remembered this movie I, I really focused on um baby brother who is the character richard brooks character. that richard brooks plays so so you know paul Beatty is the is the patriarch of the family mary alice is the matriarch they paul have butler you paul butler that. i'm sorry paul Beatty is is a novelist yeah paul butler um they have two sons mm-hmm. carl lumley plays junior the older right. of their two sons and then michael um richard brooks. richard brooks plays the younger son baby brother and i remember my sort of memories of this film was this kind of push and pull with baby brother but i forgot how prominent mary alice was in this film mm-hmm. 
and how prominent these these older actors were be because you you know it really is about th- these relationships that this group of people have yeah and how it kind of comes back the past comes back yeah, it's uh, their shared history their shared history uh, another great Ethel Ayler, which is weird. This is the second film we've seen with Ethel Ayler. I know. Um, she plays Hattie, and she is right under, like, I guess you would call her a supporting character, mm-hmm. but she's a heavy supporting character. Like, like she's really in there. Um, many of us know her. She played Claire's mother in The Cosby Show. Yes. So, but we, of course, also saw her playing the role of a mother in Eve's Bayou. Mm-hmm. But she has a lot of speaking roles in this. So I really enjoyed the 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 vibrancy of the older cast. Like like, you know, very early on, there's a scene between um between Paul Butler and Mary Alice, and you know, they're they're babysitting their grandson, and the grandson falls asleep, and Paul Butler makes a pass at Mary Alice. And says, you know, why don't you close the door and come on in here and something, something, something. And I love that. Like, I love the fact that that these are older people, but they're still sexualized. They're still alive. They still, again, are vibrant in their relationship. You know, I love that there's there's all of this energy that has nothing to do with the younger cast that you get with the older cast. So there's that. And then there's the plot itself, which you you know you you mentioned off the cuff last week that you thought this was a movie from the eighties, yeah. And this is actually made in nineteen ninety, but it feels like an eighties movie. And I think it feels like an eighties movie because I think you had all of these texts from the eighties that kind of examine the South. Like, like, you know, it's like your X number of years where, you know, people have lived in, in these urban centers. Like, you know, this takes place in Los Angeles, so you can't say it takes place in the north. But certainly there was a, a, a great migration from the south to Los Angeles. Certainly. And I think many of the texts that we look at, there's this sort of, um, how do I want to put this? We almost frame the south as as like pastoral if you will like even something like you you know the big southern movie from this moment would of course have been the color purple okay like as a film right and right. if you look at the way spielberg shot the color purple and you look at the way the south is described in you know alice walker's novel which comes out in 82 which then you get this whole run and you know it's a bunch of it's a bunch of these writers at this you know Tony K Bombara, Tony Morrison, um Gloria Naylor. And there's all of this sentiment that the south is this beautiful pastoral almost simpler place and you know people have, we 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 being black people have moved to the city and now it's the 80s and, you know, everything that happened in the 80s with, you know, the fall of the industrial, you know, industry and, and, and drugs and crime and everything where you started to get this. Maybe we should go back to the South, like maybe, you know, things are better in the South. Maybe, you know, things are better in the South and in the city and isn't all that is cracked up to be. And I think it's really noteworthy that this is a film that says there are some things in the country 
that that we left for a reason. Yeah, you you know they're they stay in the country that needs that need to stay in the country and need to stay there and and it's I mean it it almost has a, it, it it's almost it's got like a folk tale or fairy tale quality to it where where you know there are all these stories and and you know. Where, where, you know, just bringing in like the Brothers Grimm stuff where, you know, people live in a house or they live in a castle, but you don't go out into the woods mm-hmm. because there, there, there are scary things in the woods with teeth. Mm-hmm. So it's like you move from the south and the south is sort of framed as this scary place so that Harry comes in and from the very beginning, Harry represents this old maybe supernatural world and you know that ambiguity of it of you know is this supernatural is this not supernatural you know there's all this talk about charms and 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 what we would call superstition and and all of these folk practices that kind of come into play that 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 sort of that that sort of you, you know catalyze this movie like that's what this movie is about and i loved it I love that. And, you know, I have to say, full disclosure, I can only be so objective about this film because, dog, this is my family. Like, this is my, like, there are scenes in this movie that have happened in my life almost exactly like they happened in this movie. Really? And, you know, if you look like, we, I talked about it a little bit in Eve's Bayou where I said, you know, it's something about the heat and the waviness of it, like there are things that happen in the woods and in the south and in the swamp. Where, you know, some of my people are from the swamp that kind of makes sense mm-hmm. in that context. But like when you think about them later, it's like that that doesn't really make sense, or or like that like there's no logic to what happened. It shouldn't and be. It shouldn't be like that. Shouldn't happen in the modern world. So. And I suspect that that's part of the reason that this film doesn't resonate as much as other texts from this moment do. Like when people talk about the great, you know, the great films or the great great films of this time, the great films of this time. This is a film that oftentimes does not come up. No, you, you know, I, you know. I think it has a following. It's actually getting remastered. I feel. I, I think I just saw they're they're having a showing in L.A. either this week or next week. And you know, Charles Burnett is is certainly a director that people people respect. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a film that doesn't fit into a narrative that many of us us as black people are comfortable with. Because again, this is a film that very vigorously argues that there was a reason to leave. And no matter what struggles or challenges we go through in the city and in the modern world, there is a reason that we left. Like, you know, it wasn't we didn't come to get jobs. It's some stuff we left. And Harry very much represents that. So love this movie. You, you know some stuff. Some I mean, we'll talk about you know some stuff that maybe I uh, yeah. But love this movie, and I guess that's my sort of my opening statement. My opening statement on to sleep with anger. Well, that was very that was very well put. Um, 
Vince. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your feelings in regards to this film. I had not seen this film since it came out. Okay. Um, I thought I had seen it maybe one other time, but actually I had not. Uh, so it was, it was a pleasure to return to it because I remember, you know, reasonably, you know, having good feelings about the movie when I first saw it. Um, it uh, watching it again, I was struck by uh, it, it, one of the things that have always come up to in my head every once in a while when I start thinking about the great black actors is the the um, the respect and the and that everyone um, you know gives to Danny Glover mm-hmm. right. And when you think about that, you know, I think his most showy role or the role that, you know, shows him being like, you know, Danny Glover, the great actor. A lot of people point to the color purple. Mm -hmm. Um, And then because then you have his more escapist fare, like the Lethal Weapons movies and um, Predator 2, you know, and stuff like that. Um, And they forget this film, which he used his prominence at the time to get made so you know big ups on big up for him and he is good in this film this he is a magnetic presence danny glover um the movie comes alive once he walks into this home unfortunately he walks into this home create brings in all of this weird um energy from 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 his history and starts you know starts the pot to boiling in the house of you know cuz there there's tension in the house already right between right, the brothers right. uh, between the especially between the two brothers between the between the father and the younger brother and it was his youngest son and there's already tensions there and he's and he kind of just comes in and his presence kind of like lights the fire lights the flame you know what i mean and 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 he is slowly fanning it with his with his faux charm um and his southern hospitalities um while also you know like just picking sticking like a little like taking the whole town this whole this whole neighborhood of all these transplanted southerners and just like playing them like they're this voodoo doll that he is just sticking with pins like the girl Hattie he start you know he just starts needling her about mm-hmm. like oh you're saved now <laughs> i remember what you used to say for everybody oh. you know what i mean um and you know all all of the guys all of the old cronies who've moved now and call themselves like a little bit of sophisticated but you know the second somebody breaks open the you know the corn liquor they they remember like oh yeah bro this little to go get that you know what i mean uh and he he just he brings all of that to life in in this uh in this uh this neighborhood including that little bit 
that seems to reside in baby bruh because you know he's not he's not he's the baby brother and they right, call him right. baby bruh right, you know, right throughout right. the whole movie yeah you know and he's baby bruh and this junior and baby bruh and, and you start to, you start feeling him like stir that up almost to the point and and him making that connection with baby bruh which almost thinks kind of makes you think if you're looking at typical storytelling that, okay, is this going to lead somewhere? You're going to find out some deep secret right, between right. the two of them, but you don't, right. unfortunately. It right, doesn't take right. that, that more traditional or cliched role, right. uh, uh, road. So that's a um, big up for the, for the movie. But with all of that going on, I think all of that goes on in this film a little bit too long. Okay. You know what I mean? And and I think as much and hey, I know the the treasure that Charles Burnett is considered mm-hmm. in filmmaking. And I'll be honest, I this is the only Charles Burnett film when looking over his filmography that I've seen. I've never saw the the Killer Sheep. His, his I didn't see the Killer Sheep. I saw the um, I just forgot the name. The Ice Cube film. Yeah, that he made I, after that. I, I, after this, I, the the Glass Shield. Yeah, I saw the Glass Shield. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't see the Glass Shield. Mm-hmm. So this is the only Charles Burnett film that I that I've seen, and this is his third film. So it's right, not his right. film debut. I think that while the writing is very interesting and touches on a lot of themes, um, I think one of the major reason why this movie doesn't resonate the way that it it had the opportunity to is because I think his direction is very poor in mm. this movie. I think um I think the direction lets down a lot of the actors. I d I don't think it puts them frames them in the best way to showcase the work that they that they're doing. A uh, case in point there are a couple of very interesting scenes that happened between um, Richard Brooks' uh, baby brother character and his wife, played by Sherry Lee Ralph, at their home, mm-hmm. and they seem to take place in his in their kitchen, which is fine because maybe that's you know where, where sure. they had to, to set to shoot it. But the framing of those scenes uh, doesn't give you an appreciation for the action that is happening there because it's not just words there are actually some actions that happen there um some 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 actions that will resonate for the for the rest of the film but it doesn't frame them in such a way that you really get an idea of what's going on uh, uh the camera is, is is locked in one position from one angle that doesn't it it, it just it doesn't show the act. It doesn't show it. It doesn't give it any type of, it doesn't add any type of storytelling element to that scene. And there are more than a few scenes that are like that. Um, even some of the more climactic scenes mm-hmm. in there, there are some very interesting imagery in this movie. Um, I think there's a nice little motif. Um, you see, um, you know, especially in the beginning when the movie opens up with basically Paul Butler, just sitting there, uh, sitting in a chair, locked in a chair, and then slowly little bits of the picture start catching fire. Right, you right, know, right, right. His right. feet, his feet start burning. And there's a, a nice little motif that he keeps returning to uh, because you see in the beginning how 
they've transplanted from the south, but they brought some of the south with them. Um, mm-hmm. He's got his little chicken coop out in the back, and they've also got a very nice, healthy garden, mm-hmm. um, vegetable garden out in the back. And slowly through the through the film, you see all of that deteriorate mm-hmm. until the until the uh, the the end of the film. So that's a nice little running time uh, going in there, and it's also I think the use of the boy uh the neighbor and yeah. his trumpet playing uh is is used very interestingly in that movie uh and i and i keep waiting for okay i know that the trumpet his trumpet playing which is horrible yeah. is, but this is young boy practicing uh and there while there's some lip service paid paid to exactly what that is to represent um, I don't think it it is well illustrated in the story what it's to represent. I think it's just basically just lip service paid paid to it, and that's it. Because you, the trumpeting pretty much leaves after like halfway through the film. Well, he at the end when he dies, though, you get the clear note. Well, yeah, at, but at the end, yeah, okay. But it left halfway through the film. I think it, it, I mean, it was kind of it was kind of like running through the film and then leaves for halfway. And then just every 10 minutes, you want to hear that boy squeak. I don't need to hear it every 10 minutes, but you oh. do just, you know, I, I just don't, I, it, it, like I say, it, it, I don't think it was used to, um, to his best effect. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I really do think that the, the direction really just let down this film. And because of that, as stirring as Danny Glover is was in this, um, as much as a really, a, I felt that this movie could have been like a really big tour de force for somebody like Paul Butler, who hasn't had many opportunities to be right, like the right. lead in the film. Right. Even though he then I was is about to say he actually talking about disappearing. Yeah, he get, yeah. he disappears because he gets sidelined uh, in the film. Um, uh, but then you still have Carl Lumley, Richard Brooks doing great work. Right, as right. they as they are usually do, um, Shirley Lee Ralph, who actually won an Independent Spirit Award mm-hmm. for her role as Best Supporting Actress, I thought she was good. I didn't think mm-hmm. she was anything like to be great. I, like I like you said, I would have given it to the woman that played Hattie. Right, she, I right. thought she was a much more striking, yeah, of a yeah. of a of a character, a more fully formed character, right, uh, in this film. Um, I just really think the direction let them down, and I also think one other thing lets lets this movie down, and um, and that is the casting of Mary Alice. Oh my God! I have never. Oh Lord! I have never been a fan of Mary Alice as an actress. I've I've liked her in some things. Wow. But I've only really liked her in, in the and when I think about it, the things that I liked her in, she's only in a little bit. Why don't you like Mary Alice? Because I find at least at least in the roles that I've seen her do, I've she's pretty much comes across to me as one note. And it just it just does not resonate and that note does not resonate with me. Wow. I think she has so much presence. I I think I see a woman that to me I could see her I would love to I've never seen her uh on stage. Mm-hmm. I would me love either. to see her, I would love to see her on stage cuz I have a funny feeling that her acting maybe 
maybe comes off differently on stage mm-hmm. as opposed to in a movie because in a movie it just does not hit me I, it's, oh it's me as goodness. somebody that's maybe trying a little bit too hard maybe maybe I'm saying the same thing that you are but it hits me differently I, if it's Beat Street The Matrix Reloaded or episodes of a different world I feel like Mary Alice just brings a level of of dignity and and sort of grab you know gravitas and see like when she joined a uh, different world because she replaced loretta divine yes if i remember and i was just like i want loretta divine back you just mad because she replaced loretta divine on a different world oh this is part of that but I, <laughs> but no i i she just didn't do anything for right, me hey man personal taste i get it she didn't she but but because of that like i just start liking angela bassett maybe five years ago wow um, there you go. See, we're vulnerable. We are. We're, we're vulnerable right now. All my life, I over-enunciate to show that I'm acting. See, that's you doing, that's you doing Angela, Angela Bassett. But see, see that's what I could do my Mary Alice. See, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable. Personal taste. So, th- that's that's my read on this film. I think, I think your direction critique I see that. I think it's funny because in a lot of ways it's shot like a play. See, a, a lot of ways it's shot like a. I think a lot of. I think a lot of the script is, is like, like a, a play. play, right? Right. And then but I think it's. I think it actually is trying to be shot like a movie. I just don't think it's well right. shot. No, 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 no. I think, but it is very much like a play all the way to the point where the guys are Junior and Baby Bro. That's straight. That's straight. August Wilson. I, and and I think there's a lot of that in this. I think a lot of these, you, you know, I think about August Wilson. I think about you know the novelist Ernest Gaines, mm-hmm. uh, of course Walter Mosley. Yeah, like yeah. all of that. It, this is all drawn from the same place. I guess the story is so strong to me that I can overlook some of some of the direction critiques. See, but the story is strong, like. It's, the basic premise of the story, you're right, is strong. But then there are still like a little bit too many gaps. Like, okay, so they have like the fish fry. Yes. Right. So they're inviting everybody from the neighborhood. Which right? is which is the down home party. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely down home party. Right, right, I'm right. Down with that. So they invite everybody from the neighborhood. Right. right. Now all of a sudden, it now Harry has come to town. They haven't seen Harry for like 30, Thirty years. Thirty, 30 years. years is what they say. So he he's just getting back in town, mm-hmm. and there and not back in town because he's not no, from there. That's true. So he's, he's just passing through and passing through. You know, first time they've seen him in thirty years. They throw a fish fry. Yes. Everybody in the neighborhood knew Harry. Yes. So the whole neighborhood pretty much well, transplanted I, from the south. Yes. To Los Angeles. Fair enough. And not. That, I mean, I'm, you're saying neighborhood. I'm assuming. You know, it's not like the same three block radius okay, that they're But from. these people weren't driving then from down. Right, south. right, right, right. They're all from, the from various parts of LA, whatever part of LA they live in. But isn't it, it isn't it safe to assume, at least to me, that Harry is coming from where they left? That's yes, yes, at at some point. Like I I got the I got the feeling that Harry was a drifter. Right. And I don't know when the last time because you notice they they make a point of not specifying 
Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, hosted by comedians Jackie's Neal and Edgar Montplacier. Every Wednesday and Friday, these two friends dive into topics ranging from sports, music, to movies, style. They wonder whether or not Donald Glover is a genius or a weirdo. They continuously decipher Kanye West's tweets and behavior. They also have recurring segments like Queen of the Week, The List, and Top Fives like Marvel Movies and Video Games. Listen to Culture Kings and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and find out the best way to eat a taco. Oh. What's the best way to eat a taco, Vince? With your hands? With your hands. Also, with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down. It's like a layer. It's the layer. Right. So that the lettuce doesn't fall off. Can't have falling lettuce. Where they're from. They just keep saying down home. Yeah, yeah. And my read was that Harry has not actually been down home in a number of years okay so like he's been he's he's a drifter or you know he just got here from hell depending on your reading of what harry is and is not so True. but go ahead okay okay because so, it just seemed strange to me that he comes to town and all of a sudden they have this fish fry and like his whole crew his whole old crew is here yes that seemed kind of i think dude that's what happened though well, I, I, that's actually what happened. Though. Like whole communities moved to these cities. That's true. I so, do, I do know that. So, I you do know. know that happens. I do know that that happens. I know it just seemed it just seemed a little odd to me. Um, and he gathers his familiars. Yes, he does. Yes, you know, does. I mean, these are the old dudes, and and you know, and Okra has been waiting for an opening. <laughs> oh yeah, to get at Mary Alice since forever, dude. How? Okra is Paul Beatty's characters. Well, they're like like you like like Lynn said, they're all from the same place. Right. And at some point in the past, Okra, a guy named Okra, played by a this, Davis Roberts. Davis Roberts, who, for those of y'all, just you, you go deep enough. Do you, you? I remember him from Sanford and Son. Yeah. He played the the jackleg doctor, mm-hmm. who no could be, could maybe not, maybe maybe not. Yeah. But you know, one of these wonderful working, you know, old black actors. Well, that's how the, the, the film is filled with them. Yeah. So you know, so Okra at some point was dating, or or he was courting, or he liked. He like. I think he just liked. He just liked Mary Alice's character, Susie. Susie, and and he comes and starts hanging around and sniffing around. Once Paul Beatty, Paul, Paul Beatty, Paul Butler falls ill. Yes. Okra comes around and you know it's and. and See to me, that's a great scene. That scene where he's at the table with Mary Alice, and he tells oh, her, you know, and scene. he says, you know, we're in the same lodge, and and lodge, and and I actually wrote it down. It's it's the greatest euphemism for sex that I've ever heard in my entire life. So he tells him that you know, when Paul Butler dies, since they're lodge brothers, we like it at the lodge for the lodge members to take care of the widows. Mm-hmm. And Mary Alice says, well, you know. He, my husband is taking care of everything. If something were to happen, if he because he's not dead, he's just upstairs sick. But if something were to happen, he has insurance policies and this, that, and the other. <laughs> and then Okra says, "Well, that's all fine and good about the financial aspects of right. taking care of you, but you might need somebody to come around to." And I'm reading directly from the quotes: "Fix the whatnots." 
And I said, wow, fix the whatnots. That is the greatest euphemism for sex I've ever heard. And I wrote it down. Fix the whatnots. You might need somebody to come around and fix. the. Are you watching Greenleaf? No. No. You should watch Greenleaf. Greenleaf is good. The, the the show on own, and I bring it up because Lynn Whitfield is magnificent as the as the matriarch of this family. And her daughter came in the other night in the last episodes, and her daughter was out. You know, don't she was with a man she shouldn't have been with, and and she and her mother have this kind of this kind of uh, contentious re- relationship and at one point you know the, the daughter saying to the mother basically you know mind your business I was this that and the other I was doing this and and the mother says no you didn't because your car never left the driveway and now you come in here um, looking like somebody rode you hard and put you away wet wow and it's an old horsing term yes it is but I had never heard it before Oh, so you never heard that? I had never heard, heard that term before. Road look, looking like somebody rode you hard you put and you put you wet. away yeah. wet. And that's I I love like I I love I love everything about that aspect of this movie. Like I love the language and I love that scene. Anyway, Okra says to her, you know, if he dies, you might need somebody to come around here and fix the whatnots. I don't know how we got on that. Oh, we were talking about his you were talking about all of his boys sort of gathering. I, it, there was just some aspect. Can I submit that maybe that is part of a quasi supernatural reading of Harry? Like maybe that's Harry's doing. They said everybody like like moth to a flame, like a moth to a flame, because again, the film is very ambiguous about the nature of Harry. That's true. So that maybe, and like I said, the familiar, like there are scenes when Okra and a couple of other dudes are around here where they are acting mm-hmm. like familiars yeah. around a witch or a warlock. Like there's a scene where they go and they catch a chicken and you can see they're going to kill the chicken and, and you know, textually, they're going to kill the chicken and cook the chicken and, and, and you know, they're just going to make some chicken. But it's very ritualistic. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and they're, the, the, the imagery throughout the film speaks to that and that is maybe one level of pushback I'll give you about the direction that I do think Charles Burnett frames scenes so that it looks like Harry is a supernatural agent yeah there's the one scene there's the one scene telling where um uh Harry who basically is you know he's been pushed out of Susie's house a little bit so now he's kind of co-opting baby bruh's house right 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 he's, right he's got all the cronies over over baby bruh's house for dinner right uh and has baby bruh's wife Shirley ralph basically serving them yeah uh, which 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 is very telling because in the beginning of the movie she's like this bougie stuck up chick and now right. all of a sudden she's got she's serving hand and feet not 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 wantingly though yeah she, yeah, yeah, she yeah definitely is against what uh, harry the 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 spell harry is putting it on her husband um, but he is sitting at the head of that table in the center of that table holding court and it's very much kind of got like a last supper type exactly of exactly but but you know an, an evil last supper and it's all it's like through you know it's funny so so and I think just to stick with that scene for a second I think that's the scene that everyone talks about when they talk about Shirley Ralph 
in this movie. Yeah, but see, because she doesn't speak. She doesn't speak. During, like it's all in her body language how she's kind of affected by this thing. So that's like, like that's her highlight scene. That's her highlight. In this se- film. That's her highlight scene in this film. But also that scene, if you look at it, it runs on a probably two minutes too long too long you think? it's like he keep like we get the sense all right she doesn't want to be serving these people she shows it from her face right in the beginning and then she has to, i mean she goes through the she whole, goes through the whole dinner the yeah. whole dinner i'm like dude we we got we got right. the point we got the point you gotta take it at its own speed man well the Dude, see, right now you're a city slicker. It's not a city slicker. You're a city slicker it's right now. It's not a city slicker. I just want, you're a card sharp. I want, uh, I, this movie could have been, and, and thus the script should have been a lot tighter. And that's where the direction and the editor come, come together. And that's mm-hmm. where they let them down. Mm. That's, that's just, just my feeling. Did you notice there's a scene where, um, Shirley Lee Ralph, and right after that scene, as a matter of fact, if if I'm if memory serves me, she goes to her son's bedroom and she's reading with her son. Yes, and Baby Bruh comes in and stands behind her, you know, to make sure that that you know is she okay? Because he's hit her. Because he because he hit her. He has hit her, and the way it's played, it's 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 accidental, but you can see. It's it it's, it comes. It was building. It was building, right? It comes. The from, violence was going to exactly, come in one way or the exactly. other. This is how it it, it, right. it it showed itself. But did you notice his baby brother was standing there, and he was, you know, I think worried about her, but also just worried about you know feeling like you know what you want to do, you right? Because I mean? right, right. eventually she goes over to Junior's house. But as he's standing there, I took note as the light hit Richard Brooks as he was leaning there. You know, in 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 his uh, dress shirt, that his dress shirt had shoulder pads. Yeah, I think that was just. I think I think it was just the time. I don't remember <laughs> dress shirts with shoulder pads. Not for men. Yeah, I just looked at it and said, "Yeah, that's just. Yeah, that's just." Did men's shirts have? I mean, shoulder I pads? didn't. I didn't. I certainly never. But wore you know, I didn't. I, I don't pads. know what was happening in L.A. I couldn't help right but across it. town. Ice Cube had a Jerry curl in 1990, so I don't know what was going on in L.A. I that's what that's that's what you noticed. That popped the, me right that, out of that scene. The shoulder dude. pads, shoulder pads made you stop. I, I like, dude, you feel guilty. It's like, are those shoulder? Pads? Are those shoulder pads? It's like a backup singer for the Talking Heads. <laughs> I thought he's gonna break out until cameo. <laughs> The first scene, when it comes on, and, and and I'm thinking about the scene that you're talking about where they show Paul um Paul Butler's character, and he's next to the fruit, Gideon. And, and Gideon, and there's the fire, and they're playing a version of the gospel song "Precious Memories," mm-hmm. and it's by Rosetta Thorpe, who's oh, okay. who's the great you know kind of rock pioneer, but it's a great song to set up the way evil kind of intertwines mm. with religion in this film because you, you know Rosetta Thorpe is 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 guitar player so she's playing Precious Memories but then you hear this kind of guitar and it's v- very bluesy yeah like yeah. it's very bluesy so it's like it's a it's it's a gospel song but it has this kind of worldly bottom to it mm-hmm. 
and that kind of runs through the film so it's like when you said that scene the dinner it looked like the last supper you get that that it runs through the film where like harry oftentimes reads the bible um when harry goes over to baby brother's house the first time and baby brother first becomes infatuated with him Mm -hmm. it's intercut with the rest of the family at the church seeing a baptism yeah so it's like you know a child is getting baptism baptized and coming to 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 christ and coming to church and baby brother like i wrote down baby brother is getting baptized too Mm -hmm. into evil (laughs) (laughs) and again i think that's something else i think that's something else that complicates how we talk about this stuff like like we talk about you know, we talk about the South and we, and, we, and it's sort of, you, you know, and, and is is this sort of moral, this, this sort of moral compass that we get as black people from these old time values. And, and they kind of play on that. Like there's a scene early on where Harry and, um, and Susie have an exchange where Harry is very polite and Susie says, oh, I can tell you're from back home. Yeah. because you're so polite and they have this back and forth about being polite and part of the back and forth by the way the the sort of um supernatural reading did you notice he doesn't ask he doesn't say he's going to stay until he's invited three times oh wow like i went right. back and checked he didn't say he'd stay like he said oh you should stay are you sure i should say oh absolutely you should stay well i mean i don't want to no you absolutely have to stay and i said there it is Wow. They just invited him in three times. And that's talk again. That's that's. So my mama. Is from a little town called Aliceville, Alabama. Okay. My daddy is from the big city of Pritchard, Alabama, (laughs) which was the black part of town outside of Mobile, Alabama. Okay, and a lot of his family is from like we, I talked about it in uh, when we said Eve's Bayou is from Slidell, Louisiana, which is you know maybe thirty forty miles outside of New Orleans. Everything in this movie, everything, don't sweep over my foot with no broom. Yeah, the salt that they bring out, and everybody knows what to do with the salt. Mm-hmm. There's a part where Junior talks about harry and he's the devil in this and he gets zapped with the electricity from the lamp mm-hmm. so it's almost like harry caused it all the way down to when when the 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 the, the reverend and the choir comes to see gideon and, and susie pulls back and 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 all of that all, all, that, all of that all that root all of that my family all of that so, again, there is this aspect to it, this this sort of authenticity mm-hmm. to it, at least from my experience. You I know, hear you. you know, again, you know, I like like if we had two more hours, I like I you know my aunt Irene, my aunt T, and and you know, and that's something else that I thought was kind of interesting. I think oftentimes when we talk about this stuff, and we talk about this with Eve's Bayou, it's it's usually the women who are skilled in 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 these you know this 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 practitioners of practitioners if you will and they know these home remedies and they know and it is it is this kind of interesting turnaround that it's a man 
who is part of this and that, that he's part of this the quasi sort of again supernatural aspect of it but then there's another part that I thought that they played really well and it's this it's this normalization of male violence that you see throughout this thing like there's this whole thing with knobs mm. where you you know where where you know Harry has this big ass butcher knife which you know I have to say like well, right it's a pocket knife that's a big ass pocket knife well true but it's still a pocket i mean it's a pocket i I mean you're right and and i was about to say on my dresser right now i have one of my grandfather's knobs and his hatchet so it is all this you know you hear all of this talk about straight razors and and they talked about you know it sounds like harry killed a couple of guys in a fight and yeah and and certainly alluded to you know there's a part where after they're drinking the corn liquor where the dude is singing a song and it's like a blues song. But when you listen to the words, like you do to many blues songs, yeah, it's, it's, whole, it's amazingly violent. And it, like, like we said, it permeates this thing, this sort of violence. And, well, and it's so in the seas for what's to come. It's so in the seas. But again, it kind of culminates in the two brothers but it, it kind of runs throughout. Like one of my favorite little background details was, dude, when so you know, at one point, Harry says he's getting ready to leave, and his boys are gonna come with him because apparently they don't have no wives, they don't have no families, and I, they just gonna travel and get into mischief. You notice my man in the background in two scenes. He's getting a whole bunch of guns together. Yeah. Like, there's one scene where he's got a pistol, and he's just sort of messing with the pistol. It's like, why is he messing with a pistol? And then towards the end, he throws, like, four shotguns on the bed. <laughs> I hope these ain't loaded. And throws, and I'm like, what? what the hell are they about to do? Like, where are they going with all these guns? But that's that's just how that's how people get down. Yeah, but to, the funny thing about that is when I saw that, I couldn't help but think of, um, uh, I don't know if you saw it. I can't remember the name of the movie. But there was a movie with uh, Al Pacino and Alan Arkin where they're like these old gangsters like going out for like one last hit. And like that's okay. what, and that's what they, these these old dudes look like. Like they were just going out for one more hit. I'm going to tell you what, you better leave them old dudes alone. Well, I, yeah, yeah. The old dudes ain't nothing to play with. No, that's true. Well, the mold, the mold. Country, I know, a couple of them. Look, a couple of them look look, look, look a little uh, broken you, up. You take them old country dudes for bad if you want. You better leave them old Negroes alone. And I'm gonna say Negroes. Yes, because <laughs> they Negroes. <laughs> but you better leave them old colored men alone. Like the, the the stuff that those men have seen and been through, and they still here. You take them for bad if you want. Well, I'm looking here at the cast. I'm sorry, I just got struck by this. the The person that played the preacher. Yes. Do you know what that actor's name is? I I I do. I saw it. I had it written down, and you know, it's funny. I actually had like two pages of notes for this. Yeah, that is actually wonderful, Smith. <laughs> there was, a, I, I mean, that's wonderful, Smith. There's an actor named Wonderful Smith. I'm. I, I, that tickled me. Uh, DeForest Coven, who plays Fred, is another act. Fred, who's one of the cronies, is another one of them dudes that shows up. I believe 
Which one is he? Is he the tall, bald guy? No, no, no. He's got a, a shock of white hair. Okay. And All he's. Right. I believe he is the dude that when the Evans family rented the room, he's the one that rented the room and he was in witness protection. Now we're on good times, ladies and gentlemen, just following the tea leaves. And he said, if I go down, we all we're all going, going down. down. And maybe him, yeah. Was that Fred Jenkins? Yeah, I, I, it's been a minute since I've seen that episode. And you saw our dude from um, Uptown Saturday Night. Ballhead dude who was on. The, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, shit. What's his name? I did that. I, didn't see. I don't know. Yeah, but he's in it. It's a lot of people in it. It's it's a it's it's a lot of people, but again, it's a lot of older actors. It's a lot of older actors. Um, but let me t- let's talk about an actor who you know doesn't get his due, along with you know Paul Butler at this time, an older actor, you know, getting a little starring role in here. Richard Brooks, yeah, Richard Brooks. If you only know him from the first few years of Law and Order, when mm-hmm. he he does you know competent work, but he's not asked to do but so much on yeah. that show. He's actually not much asked to do much on that show until he leaves the show and then comes back as a as a um, an attorney and is able to let some of his you know his blackness show on a couple of episodes. Um, Richard Brooks is uh, you're talking about a. It's, Extremely gifted, intense actor who just in when he is in the room, you cannot take your eyes off. You know what happened to Richard Brooks? Richard Brooks is a sad story. It's a bunch of dudes like that. I got two words for Richard Brooks. Denzel Washington. I got two more words that happened to Richard Brooks. Blair Underwood. I I think he just got I think he just I I think he was just a victim of the moment that he was acting. I think yeah, he was a maybe. victim of the moment he was acting. If he come, if he had come out 10 years earlier or 10 years after. I think Richard 10 years Bro- after. 10 I think Richard Brooks would have been huge. Yeah. I think Richard Brooks to his credit though. I mean around I, this time he locks on a law I, and order. I, I mean, think he I think he's a great actor. But again, I think he's one of those actors that like when you look at this moment of of people like I think I think like I have a theory about like the leading man ring, like the leading man, the leading black man brass ring. Okay. So like obviously Sidney Poitier had it and then he kind of handed it off to Howard Rollins. Howard Rollins, he he fumbled it. And he fumbled it. Denzel Washington picked it up and, and just kept it until damn near now like it's a couple of dudes now Denzel you could sell. I know but I mean Denzel Washington is legitimately 60 years old so like you know you have some dudes that are like 30 like uh well Samuel Jackson well no I said I mean leading man like 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 you can put okay. him you know put him in a suit and, and stand him next to you know like the aforementioned Angela Bassett and this is my leading man and I think Richard Brooks like Denzel Washington took everything and anything Denzel Washington couldn't take, Blair Underwood. Blair Underwood got it, and then it wasn't, it wasn't nothing left. Yeah, like Richard Brooks got that L.A. And how long was he on Law and Order? 
He was on Law and Order for at least five, six, seven. I didn't even know he was on there that long. You just taught me something. I didn't know he was on there that long. Yeah, because he was in the beginning. Okay. He was in the beginning, and then he lasted through the first couple of years with Sam O'Neill. So, yeah. I ain't going to argue with you about Law and Order. (laughs) I don't know Law and Order like that. But I know Richard Brooks is one of those actors. I think Carl Lumley, to a certain extent, kind of got caught. In that you know maelstrom of Denzel Washington. True. Uh, just to, to uh, pay off uh, my nod at the beginning uh, on the Black Tribbles when we were on WURD a couple of years ago, we used to do a show uh, Black Tribbles Squared that just specifically talked about the world of television. Okay. And we interviewed Carl Lumley. Nice about his uh, his time on the. Uh, um, you know, fondly remembered TV superhero is. show Mantis. Yes, um, as well as his voice acting. Yeah, as John Jones on the Justice League cartoon show, which is why he took on the Tribble designation of Jones Tribble. Nice. Um, but it was on that show talking to him, and we were talking about how he was how his upbringing, and he was he was mentioning how he. You know, he remembered like you know he wasn't allowed to wear jeans, and he couldn't he, he he couldn't wait to get to a certain age where he could wear jeans and sneakers. Like I couldn't wear jeans and sneakers, right? You know, I I I, I couldn't do. Them. And it, but then it got to a point where I got used to not wearing jeans and sneakers. Yeah, and and I would just be in the in the house with my books. And then he he literally like paused and said, "Oh my god." I've been outed as a geek by the Black Tribbles. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, we were like, you're one of us. One of us? <laughs> He's like, I'm one of you. I mean, dog, you were Mantis. <laughs> Dig it. <That's laughs> you, you, you on the Mount Rushmore are black nerds. <laughs> exactly, dog. So that was a, a cool story from Carl. I would love to talk to him about Mantis. Yeah. Was, was that a good? He enjo- he He enjoyed it. Like, you don't have to say anything. But I'll just say this. I would love to talk to him about Mantis when the mic is off. Oh. He, no, he's, he, he was very forthcoming. Okay. He was very forthcoming. He enjoyed it. Um, it, it didn't, it didn't uh, satisfy everything that he wanted from it. I mean, you know, he wanted so much more from it yeah. and tried to, in, in, to in, in, in put that into there. But the show just didn't. It didn't last. It didn't make it. The reconfiguring of Mantis is like like there's like like there's there's black nerd hate in my heart for some things. And that's some of the black nerd hate in my heart. How they how they basically poochied yeah. Mantis. Yeah. That's something that could be like rebooted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big time. Hopefully we don't need a rad <laughs> white kid on a skateboard. Okay, to come, make it relatable, come, come, come back to us, Vince. Come back to us, right? Because you know I'm about to get in a yeah, Pharaoh lad in the Legion of Superheroes, <laughs> yeah, I, I, and we were talking about John Stewart before the show started, and Star Trek always putting black people in rubber mat. <laughs> okay. okay, all right, all right, all right. I'm back. I'm back. Right. Back to my place. Yeah, Carl Lumley. You know, I will say this about, um, and I don't know if if this would be a critique of the of the direction. But I feel like the the cast is 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 basically spades tight, so that there's there are so many amazing actors in the cast, there isn't enough room for all of them to shine. 
Okay. So, you know, I wish there was some way. So that's why they put Paul Butler on the shelf for like half a movie? That's why Paul Butler's on there. I mean, Carl Lumley doesn't have a whole lot to Not do. Not a whole lot to do, yeah. You, you know, Vanetta. He's, he's pretty reactive to Right, right. You know, Vanetta McGee doesn't have a whole lot to do. I mean, you know, as a child actor, I've always thought Regina King, who plays their daughter, is amazingly underutilized. Like just in, like in general, I thought she was. Here's the thing: she's that's Regina King, yet she's she's billed as as Rena King or something. Yeah, as Rena King. I, I don't know if that was a typo or if that's her stage name or. Well, I mean, my Regina King knowledge isn't that deep. Yeah, I I I, I work I wondered about that um but if if you if i had to pick no between see, see, i'm sorry i'm sorry just i'm sorry just th- that is exactly rena king that's not regina king regina king is her sister shut up it's two different people yeah because i knew she looks like her and i was like that's not regina king rena king i thought it was a typo was in scrooge to sleep with anger and then in what's happening now because that's where i really remember her from the the rebooted uh what's happening tv series that's not what, regina king and what's happening now boy no, I, learned, I knew that that's i learned I, so many things yeah that that, that was rena king who played because she plays the daughter she, of raj and and um, um amory johnson right her sister is regina, regina king. king they have essentially the same name rena and regina both uh mean queen in Spanish and Latin, respectively, essentially, they are both named Queen King. And now you know the and, rest of the story. And knowing is half the battle. It's like Paul Harvey for black actresses. There you go. I'm but, also proud of myself that somebody brought up what's happening now, and I didn't talk about the episode where Dwayne and Dee go out on a date. Did they go out on a date? See, now you're trolling. You remember the episode they went out on a date? It was weird. I was it not was a fan weird. of what's happening now. It was so bizarre. What's happening now was so bizarre, you couldn't turn from it. Like, what I, am I looking at right I, now? I, I found a way. <laughs> somehow, somehow, I found a way to find the remote and click off of that <laughs> off of that TV series. It was like miniature versions of, of the kids. And and it was Anne Marie Johnson on there. Who Anne Marie Johnson? She's she's another one of those '80s actors that I have like this fondness for. Yeah, you got a you got a special place in your heart for her. I do. Like I like Anne Marie Johnson and what she represented at this moment. And um, she was a funny comedic actress. And it was a reboot of What's Happening. Not a reboot, but uh, a sequel, sequel. To, what's ha- sequel. to What's Happening. And it was what uh, that's the series that gave us Martin Lawrence. It's the series that gave us because he was on there before he was on in uh, Do the Right Thing. That's right. And now you know more about what's happening now than you did an hour ago. I would recommend this film. What's happening now? <laughs> I would recommend to sleep with anger. I would absolutely recommend to sleep with anger. Um. I think it's a great film for a lot of different reasons. Like like I said, I, I think I came away from it this time really admiring its use of older actors that don't necessarily get a spotlight. Um and I like those char- I like the way those characters were treated. Like I love the fact that these again were sort of vibrant, alive people. Who you know who, who weren't just sitting around ready to die like they were like they were going for it like like it was a few of these people trying to get somebody to fix their whatnots. 
And um, you know, again, I think it's it's a it's a fairly unique examination of the symbol of the South and what the South means in the lives of modern black people that, you know, again, I don't think you get a lot. And, and as somebody who is unapologetically urban and, and you, you know, I argue for modernity, I, I, I'm for like, I, you know, I ain't not for one second. Have I wanted to move back down home where things were simpler? I feel you. No, I'm gonna stay right here in the city. I'm, I'm good. Um, I think you should see the film. I, I'm not the biggest fan of the film, but I think it's worth seeing to see um, a tour de force performance by Danny Glover. Um, yeah. To see the electricity of of Richard Brooks. To see a, a young Shirley Lee Ralph. I don't think she does. I don't think she does super great in here, but she's not bad. Yeah. And I, and I do think that the story is a very... Uh, uh, it's a good story. The direction lets it down, but the story is a good story. And it's not a story that is um, typical for most um, popular black cinema. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another reason why it maybe didn't resonate so as much with people. Um, but I think that by not seeing this film, you have done yourself a disservice to you should, should be introduced uh, to this film to sleep with anger. It's worth, it's hard to get though. Um, we yeah. actually had to purchase it cause it's not streaming anywhere. Um, we almost had another uh, in search of episode. Yeah. So, but we were able to, we you're able to buy it yeah. online for a relatively yeah. cheap price. And I think, I think again, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're, they're remastering it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, it, it seems like probably in the next year or so they'll be streaming. Mm-hmm. The remastered version, or you know, you can purchase it. But to, to throw out the ten, it's ten dollars. Yeah, it's it's ten dollars. Don't get the high definition version. No, you don't need you to don't see need the high definition. Def- yeah. no, no, you don't. But um, but get it for ten dollars, and it's worth owning. It's worth owning this um the, the this film from nineteen ninety. Uh, it's you know, it's worth it's worth having in, in your collection. All right, all right, okay, so um. Do you are do you? Uh, I do. Do you know what's coming? I do. All right. Speaking of a, a, another actor from this moment, who you know, I think got caught up in the uh, tailwind of um, Denzel Washington, the great Joe Morton, Ooh. brother from another planet. Oh, we go with do a brother do from another planet. The brother from another planet. You would think it was something like that. It's not like that at all. Like, not at all. Not like <laughs> like don't folks. Don't let Lynn fool you. This is not a comedy. Mm. This is not Homeboys in Space. Not at all. No. Black science fiction. Yeah. Black science fiction. Yeah, but mm, interesting. I, I, I'll i be interested to, to talk about that. Black science fiction. Very interested to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Brother from another planet. Brother from another planet. Next stop on the Michelle Mission, which you can find on MichelleMission.com. On iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and every place that you find your favorite podcast, look for the Michelle Mission. And feel free to leave us a message or or a rating or a ranking on iTunes that helps people find the show, or even do it on SoundCloud. Or just tell a friend or follow us on Twitter at Mission Michelle. Like us on Facebook at the Michelle Mission. And um, email us at Michelle Mission at gmail.com. Let us know all your thoughts, wants, 
and uh, desires and maybe movies that you um, want to see us review. We've got more than a few. We've got like theme months already. Yeah. <laughs> planned out for yeah. us well we're watching all of them yeah that's pretty much <laughs> we're going to touch them all yeah so uh so um hit us up all right this has been fun we will be back next week for vince this is len and parting we say we'll see you when it's time to meet again It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again. <laughs>